We are four weeks into our series on the book of Acts, looking at the church and what we need to be. Uh, And today we find ourselves in the second chapter, the beginning of Peter's sermon that he preaches on the day of Pentecost. I hope you'll find uh, this passage of scripture in your bulletin insert or your ESV Bible. We'll use this as a unison reading today. A unison reading, Acts 2, verses 14 through 21. Let us read the word of God together. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke, the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I once read about this cartoon where this crusader is on this large horse and he has this tremendous shield that he's carrying in one hand with the cross emblazoned on the front of it and he has this spear in the other hand and he has that spear thrust against the throat of this man who's on the ground and the man is saying, tell me more about this Christianity. I'm terribly interested. Sometimes when we wonder about evangelism, about the lost, and how we can share the good news, that is obviously not the way to do it. In his book, Bringing Out the Best in People, Christian psychotherapist Alan Loy McGinnis talks about the medieval theologian Thomas Aquinas. He said Aquinas, who knew a great deal about education and a bit about motivation, once said that when you want to convert a person to your views, you go over to where he is standing, you take him by the hand, and you guide him. You don't stand across the room and shout at him. You don't order him to come over where you are. You start where he is. And this is something that we see 
Peter doing in this passage this morning? He's starting where these multitudes are because in last week's text, the last words that we read were from those who were bewildered as part of this crowd at the Feast of Pentecost. They're seeing these disciples of Jesus speak in all of these different languages and those who were skeptical in the crowd said they must be filled with new wine. They're drunk. That's why they don't make any sense. Well, this is exactly where Peter starts. This is how he begins his sermon. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. You know, these people are not drunk, as you suppose. After all, it's only the third hour of the day, meaning nine in the morning. They hadn't had time to be drunk yet. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And he begins to quote a section of Joel's prophecy we can find in his second chapter. And this should tell you and me something about the importance of the Old Testament. I mean, if I took a poll today, probably most of us would say, I don't know the Old Testament as well as I'd like to know it. I know that's true for me. It may be true for you. But we can see in this passage, if we take the time to look, why the Old Testament is so important. Luke is teaching us that the Old Testament is for him the primary block of teaching where the life of Jesus can be understood, where his coming is put in context, if you will. It's not that he Christianizes the Old Testament, but he allows the Old Testament to speak its own message about the coming of salvation in Jesus Christ, in the gift of the Messiah who happens to be this Jesus of Nazareth. Now, I don't say this to disparage the New Testament. Obviously, the 27 books of the New Testament tell the story of Jesus and proclaim His good news and and teach quite specifically how you and I as His people, people of the kingdom, can live as lights in the midst of a dark world around us. And these books do this in a fairly straightforward way and in a more understandable way for most of us. But the point is that the the Old Testament gives us all of the foundation work of the coming of the Messiah, of who He will be and, and how He will live and gives us indications of some of the things that will take place during this age which His coming inaugurates. Now, if you were here for the second sermon in this series, that's uh, the first two sermons we were talking about, the marks of the New Testament church and how if we needed to be the church that we wanted to be, we must exemplify, show, manifest those marks in our week-in and week-out life as well. And one of those marks was that the early church followed the emphasis of Jesus' 
teaching and application of God's Word. And, and we could see that the things that they chose to do as an early church were informed by His Word. And we continue to see that principle again in this passage today. Because as Peter begins to preach, he doesn't just throw out what he wants to talk about that day. You know, he wants to talk about Jesus, surely. But something magnificent has just happened in the city of Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit has been poured out on all kinds of people. And so he goes to God's holy word, to Joel 2, to explain what is taking place. And Peter reiterates with this text from Joel how this means something pretty amazing. Time has changed. They're now in a different era. And we can see that in the very first line of Joel's prophecy when he says, in the last days. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. In other words, Peter is telling the crowd, do you understand what's taking place? The last days are now. We're now in that time period that Joel is talking about in his prophecy. And that's still true for you and me today, more than 2,000 years later. Because the last days are here until Jesus returns, as he promised to do. Hebrews 1 teaches that in many and various ways God spoke of old to our fathers by the prophets, but in these, what, last days He has spoken to us by Son. Ever since the incarnation, ever since God made Himself known in the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ, the world has lived in the last days. Paul says as much, In 1 Corinthians 10, we're talking about things that were written down in the Old Testament. He talks about how they were written for our instruction. He says, upon whom the end of the age has come. That's you and me. We're some of those upon whom the end of the age has come. We are now in the last days, and we don't know how long this period will be. Notice in Joel's prophecy, we don't see anything in there about duration, how long this time period will be. But he gave him some distinct information about this time, however long it is. God will pour out his spirit, we're told, on all kinds of people, on the old and the young, on the rich and the poor, on men and women people of all educational levels, and this power from the Spirit will manifest itself in in all sorts of ways, as we can see in the book of Acts over and over again. But one of the most often ways we see is the gift of prophetic speech. And we need to make sure that we know what prophetic speech really is, because it's not always about the future. I mean, the prophets help us to understand the future because they tell us some things by God's power sometimes that we don't know. But usually prophetic speech is not so much 
foretelling something that's going to take place as it is God's will for his people in that given time. That's what a prophet does. A prophet tells the will of God for his people and how they can love and serve him more. Now this kind of prophetic speech does not have the same authority as Scripture. Obviously, the prophets we can read in the Old Testament, that has scriptural authority. But the church continued to receive prophetic speech. And those gifts are not with the same authority as Scripture. And the reason we know that is because of what Paul teaches in 1 Thessalonians 5 when he says, do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Test it all to know whether it's from the Spirit or not. As John Piper puts it, Joel is looking to a day when men and women everywhere will be so filled with God that they catch visions of Him in the daytime, they dream of Him at night, and they speak of Him continually. I mean, think about it. What did the early church do on Pentecost? They proclaimed God's mighty works in all of these different languages. By the power of the Holy Spirit, they went out there and praise and worship in the streets because they were talking about the mighty acts of God, His faithfulness to His people. They were witnesses of His love, of His power, of His faithfulness at work in their lives, and and they could not contain themselves. They were proclaiming His mighty works in all of these different languages so everyone there in Jerusalem could hear and understand in their own tongue. And when we think about their example, I think that puts a question to you and me. What about our own lives? Do we ever proclaim the mighty acts of God? I mean, we do in here on Sunday morning We sing God's praise. We proclaim His mighty works as we worship. But what about through the rest of the week? In the things we do, the things we say, the conversations we have with people, do we at least act like this a little bit of the time? You know, we don't have to be creative as Christian people. We should not be obnoxious or loud or go around, you know, with a spear against somebody's throat saying you need to learn about Christianity. We simply give a reason for the hope that's within us as we witness to the truth that Jesus saves. And not only does He save, but He provides the power, He provides the peace and hope to live in this world where bad things happen, even to good people. You know, as we look at Joel's prophecy in this text, we can see that these last days will be a a hodgepodge of, 
of good things on the one hand, like the power of the Spirit and, and dreams and visions. And yet there will also be terrible things taking place on the other hand. Joel says blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And this shouldn't be surprising to us. These are the kinds of things we read about, that we hear about and see on the nightly news, whether it's happening through natural disasters or or terrible atrocities that man commits against man. Shouldn't be surprising. But look at the, the good news in the midst of all of this uncertainty. Joel says, It shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And in this prophecy, we see the scriptural truth that the New Testament church seizes upon and proclaims over and over and over again that there is salvation in Jesus Christ. That this man whom you crucified, he came to this earth, he lived a sinless life, he died on the cross for your sins and for the sins of the world. It's all through Jesus that salvation takes place. This Jesus who was the Messiah that God had prophesied. It's just that he was a suffering Messiah. You go back and read Isaiah 53 and you see it all. You see everything that Jesus suffered. That's what these disciples were proclaiming over and over again. Now obviously, Joel was originally referring to God the Father in his prophecy when he said, All those who shall call on the name of the Lord, on the name of Yahweh, shall be saved. But again, this is how the Old Testament informs us about God and his plan of salvation to save the world. Because Peter and the other New Testament preachers take verses like these and apply them to Jesus. Does that mean they're taking them out of their context? No. They can do this because of the truth we read in John's Gospel. No one has ever seen the Father, but the only Son, He has what? Made Him known. This is who God is. Jesus makes Him known. And that's why it's through His name shall people be saved. Later in his sermon, verse 36, uh, we didn't read that far. Peter will proclaim, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. You see, it's all about Jesus. He's the one through whom salvation comes because he's Lord. God's made him Lord. He's ruler. He's he's up there in majesty and power and honor and glory at the right hand of God the Father Almighty as we say in the Apostles' Creed each and every Lord's Day. And at the same time, he's the Messiah. 
He's the one through whom all the nations of the world will be blessed. The one and only one through whom salvation can come. Jesus himself put it that way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Everyone who calls on the name of this Lord, this King, shall be saved. And that's why whenever we're talking about evangelism, you and I have to remember that. We start where people are. And Scripture tells us they're dead in their sins. Now, we don't need to tell them that right away, but we start where they are. And those who are dead in their sins, God did not leave dead, but brought to new life through the power of His Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ and His work on the cross. So eventually, we have to come to Jesus. They have to understand that if they call on His name, they will be saved. Why? Because He was the perfect sacrifice. The once and for all sacrifice, as the book of Hebrews puts it. In fact, Hebrews 9 teaches He has appeared once for all at the end of the age to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, and that's that's the truth we see in this table, in this sacrament before us. He puts away sin by the sacrifice of himself, by the fact that his body was broken and his blood poured out on the cross. You see, that's the the good news of the early church. That's what they were proclaiming. That it's through this Lord and King, this Jesus, whom we all crucified by our own sins, that salvation can be found. That's still the good news today. Even all of these centuries later, believe it and live in its peace. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together.